reels of repetition. Though letter writing is no longer popular as it once was, much of Paul's ministry was by mail. And so we ought to be careful not to underestimate, underestimate the power of letter writing. 20 years ago in the summer of 1998, when I was five years old, <laughs> I wrote a letter from an apartment balcony in Zurich, Switzerland, while overlooking a green pasture full of cows. Little did I know that Cupid must have been flying in the air on that same day. It was a letter to a young lady who was a longtime friend from childhood, and we were getting reacquainted. As I wrote that letter, my thoughts poured out into ink and apparently love, though I did not mention that word in the letter. But the recipient, who I had called not-so-nice names during our childhood and adolescent years, received my letter with surprise and was pretty clear from her perspective that I had the hots for her. <laughs> Perhaps it was my use of la langue de l'amour, the language of love, French, that won her over, I don't know. But that letter did some magical work I couldn't even imagine. It was an innocent letter, of course, from a longtime friend. That letter, though I was far away in the land of chocolates and Alps, brought me near to Gail, my wife, and her heart, and the rest is history. So you see, letters can have a powerful impact. We talk about the books of the Bible, but truthfully, the Bible is made up of a variety of genres, narrative, history, parables, poetry, wisdom sayings, and even letters. Philippians is a letter, not a book. The letter or epistolary form makes up 20 of the 27 books of the New Testament and throughout history have shaped the church. Therefore, one might say letters are the word of God. And like Christ who empties himself, Paul empties himself through his writing. He pours himself out as an offering for the gospel. His letter writing is therapy and theology at the same time. Like a broken record or an astute preacher, Paul repeats one key theological idea throughout his letter joy. It is an undeniable motif in this letter. From the very beginning, Paul was, and I quote, constantly praying with joy. Throughout the letter, this joy theme pops up in other places. Christ is proclaimed in every way, he says, and in that I rejoice, and I will continue to rejoice. And then he says, make my joy complete, be of the same mind. And even if I am being poured out as a libation of the sacrifice, I am glad and rejoice with all of you. And in the same way, you also must be glad and rejoice with me. And then he says, welcome him then in the Lord with all joy. 
Finally, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. My brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. And then in today's lectionary, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. I mean, we get it, Paul. We get it. Joy. Your one main theme, joy. And if letters are the word of God, the word from God for today for us is rejoice. It's as if Paul is saying, first things first, rejoice. I mean, you may want to complain first or point out the negative critique first. But Paul's call is to rejoice first. Paul must have known we needed this reminder in 2018. Rejoice in the Lord always. Joy should have the first place in our life. Be the first word on our lips. Be the initial step of every day. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. The Lord is near. I can almost hear underneath this scripture, joy to the world, the Lord is come. Rejoice, rejoice, the Lord is near. Like Frederick Buechner said in one of his books, The Hungering Dark, where you have known joy, you have known God. Rejoice, the Lord is near. And although Paul claims that he isn't a masterful rhetorician of this age, he told the Corinthians in another letter, my speech and my proclamation were not with plausible words of wisdom. Ironically, though, he uses rhetorical devices to make his point. In particular, he uses repetition. Rejoice, rejoice. The rhetoric of repetition should never be underestimated. Sometimes repeating oneself may have negative connotations of being boring or redundant or nagging. A parent may ask a child again and again, did you clean up your room? And the daring child may respond, how many times are you going to ask me? If I ever responded to my father like that, that would be the end of Luke Powery. But from a speaker's or writer's perspective like Paul, repetition brings emphasis to words that will highlight the importance of words and aims to help the audience remember. Paul knows that the church at Philippi needs help in remembering joy and to rejoice because it is so easy to forget, isn't it? If we never repeat it, if we never do it repeatedly, rejoice, we may never remember it or it won't become a part of our lives of faith. And in the end, we won't become experts in joy. Experts in joy? This is what I mean. I say experts because in the research literature on expertise, the idea of practice is critical. In this very large volume, 900 page plus book, the Cambridge Handbook of Expertise and Expert Performance, 100 leading scientists who have studied expertise and top performance in a wide variety of domains, such as surgery and acting, 
and chess and writing and computer programming, ballet, music, aviation, firefighting, and many others, they make evident that experts are always made, not born. These researchers discovered that the amount and quality of practice were key factors in the level of expertise people achieved. And in particular, deliberate practice is critical for the development of expertise. That is, practice that focuses on tasks beyond your current level of competence and comfort. Focusing on what you can't do well or even at all. The research reveals that by working on what you can't do, you can turn into the expert you desire. And they say it will take at least 10 years, a decade, to become an expert. This suggests that even in our spiritual lives, deliberate practice, spiritual practice, or cultivation of virtues is necessary to develop more fully and grow deeply in faith. Paul's repetition is not only a reminder of what's important, but a call for us towards spiritual repetition, and in particular, to repeat practicing joy. Rejoice. Rejoice. It's so easy to focus on what we already do well or know well. It's more difficult to focus our attention on what may be more challenging to do during challenging times or during any time, really. Rejoice. Rejoice. I mean, Paul reminds us that there is a spirituality of repetition. In Mary Oliver's poem, Mindful, she writes this, Every day I see or hear something that more or less kills me with delight, that leaves me like a needle in the haystack of light. It was what I was born for, to look, to listen, to lose myself inside this soft world, to instruct myself over and over in joy and acclamation. Over and over, we have to instruct ourselves in joy. One time is insufficient and un unsatisfactory. This is why Paul makes joy his letter's theme and repeats, rejoice, rejoice. Over and over again, we have to be reminded of what's important, what's good, what's beautiful, what's true, what's God. It takes repetition. It takes repeated practice, or we might forget virtues like joy. The life of faith, think about it, the life of faith is one of repetition, instructing ourselves and being instructed. Take, for example, Advent. Here we go again. Every year, we follow the rhythm of the church calendar. Advent comes ready or not. It repeats. Each Sunday, we confess our sin. Every Sunday, we offer prayers for the world. Repetition. Each Sunday, we have a sermon. Every Sunday, after the scripture readings, we say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Repetition. 
We repeat the Lord's Prayer every Sunday. Some of the hymns we sing, though the verses are different, include refrains, musical, lyrical repetitions, which we sing to be reminded of the core theme of that hymn. We're always repeating in the liturgy. We have communion twice a month. And if you desire weekly communion, you can have weekly communion on alternating Sundays in the memorial chapel. We are always repeating. Sundays are always repeating relentlessly. And through repetition, the things of faith become a part of our lives. Repetition deepens our understanding and our attunement and even our love. Routine is so central to the monastic life. The daily schedule of prayers and chores repeated over and over again in monasteries are critical to what Sister Joan Chittister calls creating a monastery of the heart. She's an American Benedictine nun who teaches that the power of Benedictine prayer lies in its regularity. It's regular, she says, like the dripping of a faucet on the ground of our hearts. Spiritual repetition drips the waters of our baptism over our lives to help us remember our baptism, remember who we are in Christ, remember who is our eternal home. And like athletes, repetitive practice leads to improvement and growth. For Paul to say, rejoice in the Lord always, again I say rejoice, the Lord is near, not only brings repetition to the fore, but reminds us that Jesus keeps coming each year, every day, as we follow the liturgical year. The Lord is near. Is near. God came, God comes, God will come, repetition. Even the created order reveals this aspect of God. At the creation in Genesis, we hear repeatedly, and there was evening and there was morning, and there was evening and there was morning. God redeems time with repetition. The sun rises and sets every day because God pushes repeat. And God's love is repetitive also because God's love is eternal repetition. Variety is not necessarily the spice of the spiritual life. Repetition is. And we definitely need a repeat button for joy, like my no button in my office. Have you seen these? I have to be reminded to say no sometimes. No! And sometimes once isn't enough. No! No. A no button can be very helpful. And in the same way, we have to be reminded many times in our lives to rejoice. So can someone please find me a joy button this Christmas? Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul pushes repeat, repeat because it is essential for religious practice. Rejoice, rejoice, holy repetition, rejoice, 
resists other psychological and emotional tapes playing in our hearts and our minds. Those sometimes destructive reels, those private transcripts that were written during our childhood that still may haunt us, words repeated that sting our souls and mute our confidence and keep us smaller than we ought to be and hinder our spiritual flourishing in God. Even our circumstances can sometimes get in the way of righteous repetition. But remember that Paul writes this letter to the church at Philippi from prison. He's physically bound, yet he's spiritually free. And by no means am I endorsing our current prison system, but I have found that prisoners are often more free than us. Free enough to experience and express joy in a situation where joy is seemingly nonsense. Paul's situation is a sign of unexpected grace in that prison doesn't imprison his soul. His circumstances don't circumscribe his spirit or faith or the virtues of Christ. Rejoice always. Joy is not dependent on how good or bad our situation is. It occurs despite our situations because it is dependent on God. God is the joy and the strength of my life. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Rejoice, rejoice, the Lord is near. Paul is so free in his heart. I'm challenged by it. And don't you want to be free too? How often have we become imprisoned by our own circumstances in life, which then locks up our own hearts? But this Advent, God wants you to be free and unlock the portals of your heart to receive his joy rather than the despair and hatred we often see on display in our world today. God wants you to be free so that your circumstances don't circumscribe your faith and spirit. Rejoice. Rejoice. Whatever your past experiences or current relationships are, or workplace environment, daily struggles, rejoice. The Lord is near. And we can press repeat on joy because of the promise of God's presence. The Lord is near. Like joy, God's presence is unpredictable and can't be manufactured but it can be found in a prison like Paul or under a slab of cement after a devastating earthquake. You might have heard this story before that in the aftermath of the 2010 earthquake, Haiti earthquake, that there was a Haitian man that was trapped under a slab of concrete from a collapsed building. And he lay on his side as the weight of this piece of concrete rested on top of him. And all of this was caught on camera. It was in the news. 
and a CNN news reporter was right there ready to get high ratings. The reporter conducted an interview with this man as he lay on his side under a slab of cement. And this is what she asked him. What are you telling yourself? Hmm, what would he be telling himself? What do you think he's telling himself as a cement block rests on top of his body, squeezing the life out of him? This man should have said, I'm asking myself why a news reporter is interviewing me right now. But instead, this Haitian prophet, in response to the reporter's question, what are you telling yourself? He says, Jesus, Jesus, my life is in your hands. Notice the repetition. Jesus, Jesus, during life or as you face death, what are you repeating in word or deed? Repetition may be where you find your redemption. Jesus, Jesus, rejoice, rejoice, Emmanuel, shall come to thee, O Israel. Some things always bear repeating. Our spiritual and